Welcome to Mommy Heal Thyself. We feature guests who provide you with the tools, resources, and strategies you need to say no to a life of pain and suffering from all forms of preventable disease, toxic drugs, and unnecessary surgeries. We hope to inspire you to boldly reclaim your ability to heal and to serve the ones you love. Welcome once again, everyone, to another episode of Mommy Heal Thyself. We are here today with Hillary Boynton. She is the author and founder of School of Lunch, a training academy and culinary consulting company. Hillary, a mother of five, I can relate, underwent a transformative experience years ago where modern pharmacology failed her family. She was able to heal chronic disease through the power of food and nutrition. Hillary then set out to reawaken culture to the value of preparing and cooking within the framework of ancestral techniques and practices anchored with the observations of Dr. Weston Price. And we are familiar with Dr. Price, right, mm-hmm. ladies? Now, Hillary documented her journey through GAPS protocol in her first publication, The Heal Your Gut Cookbook, creating a well-referenced companion of recipes and strategies vital to this category. Hillary then put her ancestral framework of cooking into practice as head of nutritional services at Manzanita School, a private nature-based school in Topanga, California. After overhauling the lunch and snack programs, she expanded to share her proven kitchen model with other schools and individuals around the country through the company, School of Lunch, modeling scratch kitchen, nutrient density, savory menus, strong connections with local food systems, The School of Lunch Training Academy hosts culinary intensives and retreats aimed at schools, chefs, and individuals seeking to emulate Hillary's well-tested framework and values. A self-proclaimed lunch leader, Hillary is dedicated to building a tribe of leaders to catalyze the cultural shift with the focus on future generations, our children. She is a steward of ancestral culinary practices and a firm proponent of overarching belief that food is medicine. Her work is both noble and critical in the face of civilization, overwhelmed by deficient diet trends, nutritional misinformation, and she seeks to joyfully disrupt the trend of chronic illness with our children. Wow. Thank you so much, Hillary, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, we just a little couple of weeks ago, we were in the podcast with Zen Huddycutt, and she pretty much scared the bejeebies out of us (laughs) (laughs) about school lunches, all the phenomenal testing Mm -hmm. that Moms Across America is doing. I mean, in reality, it's not that's startling for most of us, but to have that confirmed with the actual scientific data, with testing, it puts you in a point where you cannot deny that truth any longer. And that is why it was so critical for me to have you join our ladies today. Wow. The first thing I want to ask you is, how did you get into this space of even thinking that you could disrupt school lunches. You know, a lot of us think, you know, that's what the, the county does. That's what the state does. It's supposed to be nutritionally viable. And what can I, as one little mom, do to change the lunches for my child? 
Mm. Well, <clears throat> I, it started back when I lived in Massachusetts. I'm in California now and my kids were in public school and I did try back then. And that was actually how I got introduced to the Weston Price Foundation. A woman who was helping me taught me about the foundation, which was life changing. Really, really seriously. That was the moment where my life changed. And um and I worked really hard for many years in Massachusetts and didn't get very far. And it was a you know, real frustrating uh, time period when I was trying to change the lunches. And through our health journey, we moved to California and we actually found this little nature-based school that the lunches are really what sold me. Of course, it was beautiful and in nature, but the chef, when we met her, they had just started. There were only about 30 kids. It was a tiny little school. And she said that the kids had caught their own fish that day. And cooked it up and she really wanted to roast a whole goat. And I was like, this, this is the school. This is my lady. Like we've got to go. And then as the school grew, um, it was too much for her to handle and they outsourced the food and it went a little bit more towards standard American diet. Not as bad as like public school lunches, but you know, more of the white flour and just pretty standard. And, um, and I was like, you know, this is why I signed up for this school and this isn't aligned with nature. And I, um, I stepped in as the snack coordinator, the head of school. I just kept saying, this doesn't like jive for me at all. And, um, and he gave me the, the job of the snack coordinator and the, I could do a one lunch for the whole school once a month. And then I was a consultant to the lunch lady. And so I stepped in as a snack. Um, and that was overwhelming to me because at that point it's 125 snacks a day and I'd only ever cooked for my family of seven. And so, but then I just, you know, kind of quickly outshined the lunch program and by halfway through the year, I ended up taking over the lunch program. And I just knew like, if I didn't step in that I just didn't know where the answers would come. Right. It's just, I felt this pull to just do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now when women come to school of lunch, what are some of the things that they're dealing with or grappling with? Why have they made that journey to work with you? Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of different reasons. We have a broad range of um, of experience and ages and sexes. You know, we've got we had an 18 year old young man come last year who was overweight and trying to take control of his health. Um, and then we have professional chefs, school chefs, and then we have young 20-something females who are looking for a better way forward. They see that, you know, a lot of their peers are sick or they might be struggling with something. They just know that there's a better way forward. A lot of um, moms who are frustrated with the school lunch program and want to help support the system and step in and be that kind of cheerleader supportive role. Um, and then, And then, of course, school lunch chefs. But yeah, people are usually frustrated with the system or frustrated in their with their own health really and need to find some a roadmap back to um back to taking control of their own health you know so what is what is one of the most common mistakes that you see that people are making in this particular journey i think people are looking for a quick fix often or a fad or something that will just you know it's, it's unfortunate, but you can't, like I usually say with disease that it's, it didn't happen overnight. It's not going to kill you overnight and you're not going to fix it overnight. Right. So we have to be patient and understand that we're in a process. You know, we unfortunately are in this time period where what used to be common knowledge and passed down from generation to generation is really on the brink of extinction. And so we have to be gentle with ourselves and that we're, 
we're relearning what was once common and we have to step into that work. I say we've got to become the ancestors in training so that we can pass it down once again to the generations to come. And um, But I think people are so busy that they really just want the two week answer or the pill or, you know, and so really realizing that it's a lifestyle shift. There is no magic bullet and it's mind, body, spirit. I mean, when you get sick, it's really a you have to kind of come at it from all different angles, I say. It's like physical, emotional, and spiritual. And you really have to hit it from, really have to look at, you know, how you've been living and what are the traumas. Just like, you know, kind of kind of peel back the layers of the onion. And it can be overwhelming and daunting. But just being, loving yourself through the process, I think, is a, a real important thing. And to realize that it's a process and it's such a joyful reclaiming of your health on every level, if you can just be patient with yourself. Now, going to the zone of school lunches, mm -hmm. what are some suggestions that you would have for a mom who is concerned about the lunches that her child is eating in school? Mm. I think the first step is really, you know, approaching well, if you can get a group of like-minded moms, you know, there's power in numbers for sure and approaching the head of school and not not coming in like a bowl in a china shop. I think that was my mistake back when I was trying to first change the school lunches. It's like we really have to understand that we're where we are and you have to meet people where they are and really talk rationally through the process again of how it's not going to change overnight, especially, you know, the public school system is really um, kind of like a well-oiled machine, right? And you have, there's so many layers that need to be kind of um, approached and dealt with on, on different levels. And so, um, but starting those conversations and then giving examples like what we're doing at the Manzanita School. You know, I was like, I'm just going to get my foot in the door here at this small little school and I'm going to show what's possible. And then hopefully that little ripple effect will start. And, you know, it's not... It's not necessarily like every public school is not going to look like the Manzanita school. I have way more leeway and flexibility at this private school. Mm -hmm. And private schools, um, you know, they can step into the work a little more easily. But I think it's appealing to the heart space, too, of the people that are in charge. Like, look at how sick our children are and what are we really doing? And let's mm -hmm. sit down and come to the table together and try and, you know, strategize and like come up with a solution because what we're doing is not working and we can close our eyes and put the blinders on, but we already have upwards of 60% of our kids with a chronic illness. So, you know, we have to just start to really pull it apart and work together, right? It can't be again, like you're doing it wrong and we have to change this. And because then people just, their schools are already overwhelmed with work and in everything. And so I think the school lunches can, you know, they're like, it's working. And I only have a handful of parents who are complaining. So if we can just keep them happy over there, then let's just keep doing what's working. So and we need people at the higher levels to really start to change policy and, um, and look at it. That's what I mean, we all have to kind of come to the table and work together. Now, one of the things you mentioned was that as we go through this process of I guess, negotiating with the officials at the school that we can mention some of the wonderful outcomes at a place like the Manzanita mm -hmm. School. Tell us a little bit more about what were some of the differences and changes that you saw occur as you started to implement 
this new program and what was the program? Yeah, well, so our program really is based on the, the principles of the Weston Price Foundation. So the core principles are a nutrient-dense diet. We're, we're building brains, I say, and we're getting as much nutrition into these kids as we can every single day. We have their stomachs for six hours a day. So you have a kid from kindergarten through 12th grade, that opportunity to change the trajectory of their health is massive. And just shifting their vocabulary around food, right? When they're talking about bone broth and fermented foods and sourdough bread and organ meats, you know, all those things are, are vital and they're, you know, now ingrained in their vocabulary and they're, you know, in them and as well as the staff. So people really what happened was it started to become a community affair. Like people were hanging out at snack and talking about their local farmers and trying new things and seeing how beautiful real, real food is. You get a bumper crop of tomatoes from the farmer's market and you make a beautiful tomato soup. And, um, you know, so it just became um, a real joyful experience instead of just eating to eat. Right. And so I think the light bulb started to go mm -hmm. off for people. I had a child in sixth grade, just say, I used to feel unprompted. He said, I used to feel up and down all day long. And now he just feels even straight across. I was just like, that's the 30 second commercial right there. Like these kids can't necessarily express or they don't really understand. I think most kids and most adults don't know what it feels like to feel good. So when all of a sudden you start to feel like you're focused and you're kind of lit up on fire. I mean, Sally Fallon from the Weston Price Foundation said you just feel should feel really high on life, like when you're properly satiated and, and satisfied. So, you know, teachers who had bloating or had trouble sleeping and kids being more focused, I mean, you name it, it was just sort of like, what is happening here, right? They just felt the love and the intention behind it all. And so it's really life-changing. And now we're in our, um, we've almost completed our eighth year. And so I can say 100%, it's just, it's life-changing. And it, it goes from the kids into the home. So it's this bottom-up approach where the kids are are talking about at home and the parents are like, what's going on at the school? And then we invite the parents in. And so then it goes into the home and becomes a lifestyle shift for the whole family and then ripples out in the community. So it's, it's really cool to watch it happen. Now, one of the things that Zen told us about was the fact that many of our parents don't realize that the foods that our children are consuming in our schools, a lot of them are coming from fast food restaurants and they're basically like your TV dinners. You know, they're, they're always, they're pre-packaged and all the staff has to do is heat and serve. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about that, what are some of the logistics that we need to look at that school will be facing if they decide that they want to consider moving away from that prepackaged stuff into mm -hmm. actually cooked meals? Yeah, well, in Massachusetts, the, school, the town that I was in built three brand new elementary schools. And this is a, a really affluent, nice, beautiful town. And they put in all reheating kitchens. And so there was no forethought into the fact that they may ever scratch cook, right? So if anyone's building a school out there, make sure you put in a scratch kitchen because if you, you know, they're not going to redo it, I don't think. And so it's just not, it was, there was no, you know, thought process behind that, which is really discouraging. So that's a, you know, you have to have a kitchen where, where you can cook or a centralized kitchen. So, and then of course, I think when you train the chefs to understand the core values, 
then those, if you get a chef that knows what they're doing and has the, the drive to, you know, disrupt the trend of chronic illness, they can start to make better choices, right, within the system. So what are you mm -hmm. going to get from the Cisco system? What are you going to get from Airmark, wherever it is? You can say no to, you know, vegetable oils, perhaps, or you can start to get you know, the sugar out of the school lunches. So you can make better choices when you have an educated food service director and the chefs, obviously. So, and I think most chefs, like one of the things that chefs love about working at the Manzanita school is that they're working with the best ingredients, right? So we nourish them as well. We yeah. sit down and eat together and, and most chefs appreciate that so much, right? Hmm. So I can imagine so now what about the argument that I know I can hear some school administrators telling me, which is, well, you know, the lunches that we provide are um, meeting all of the needs, nutritional needs, the USDA needs that are determined by our blah, blah guidelines. So when you talk about being nutrient dense, they'll say, oh, well, ours are nutrient dense. They are getting all of the things. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? I think we need to start over with the guidelines, first of all. <laughs> I just don't think, you know, when your guidelines are allowing strawberry fat-free or skim milk that's full of sugar and when ketchup is counting as a vegetable. I mean, if, if you're an adult and you're looking at this, you have to say this isn't really okay, right? This isn't really quality food. And when you know, when you look in there, so the, the one thing that I did in Massachusetts is I went straight to the school lunch, I mean, the school nurse, and asked her for a list of ingredients of the school mm -hmm. foods. They have to have that for allergy purposes. And when there's 30 ingredients in a, in a food, you know, so what are we doing, right? Maybe we're meeting this certain level or standard that's required, but who's setting that? And you know, when there's a, a limit on salt, but what kind of salt are we using, right? We need salt for life, but let's go back to like real salt and, and put that in our foods. But you can't get that if you're eating pro processed packaged foods. So when you're eating processed packaged foods, it's just inevitable. You're going to get all the preservatives and all the, the junk that goes along with it. So I think we have to start over with our, with our guidelines. I mean, we say the policy for feeding the kids in this country you should feed your kids like you feed your own family, right? We should feed the kids at schools like we feed. If you're president of the United States, I want to feed the kids like I feed my family, right? So if you wouldn't put it in your own kids' bodies, then don't do it to other kids. Well, I think so. one of the challenges that many of the people who are listening to this podcast face is that yes for them they want to feed their children the way they feed themselves because they have that understanding of health and nutrition and everything else but the majority of the american population are completely clueless about mm -hmm. what real food is right therefore going into negotiating those waters in a public school or any other school and we're dealing with the majority that doesn't have this same understanding, mm -hmm. how do we start to broach the conversation? How do we start to get people to understand that that stuff is not even food? <laughs> I don't even want to yeah. call it food. I call it consumables. Right. Um, what has been your experience on how to get to other parents to get them to see this? Yeah, there are actually parents that will fight for that food. You know, they their kids will eat it. And so they feel like, 
you know, don't take that away because this is what my, my child likes and they'll eat it. And so it really isn't a re-education. And I think the best way to help people to understand is to feed them. So, you know, we had one of our um, chefs go to a school in Chicago and put on a beautiful dinner for the parents to come. This is like inner city um, in, down in Chicago. Uh, we had the head of school come to our training academy and she invited one of our chefs to come and meet with the parents and, and you feed them and then they experience it. And if you can put things side by side and really say like, you know, how did you feel after this meal and the conversations that start and the joy around real food that again, the light bulbs start to go off. So it's about bringing people back together and connecting one another and having conversations around food and breaking bread together. And, you know, we sent her with like a suitcase full of homemade focaccia bread, <laughs> sourdough focaccia. She had it all wrapped up in just a whole suitcase that she took. And so, you know, you do what you can. And I think it's like, you know, you can't necessarily, I used to be like, I'm going to, you know, change the world, but you really do have to change the world like one person at a time, right? You just reach those that you can and you make those impacts in small communities wherever you can and get the conversations going and just start to turn, you know, turn the light bulbs on and get people, their their cells start awakening, right? It's almost like it's, it's within us, all of us, right? It's so yeah. inherent within us of how to yeah. properly nourish ourselves. We're just so disconnected and we're, your taste buds are hijacked. And, you know, we're just, this has become so normalized that kids are just sick. And, you know, it's just writing a slide for a, a presentation I'm doing and just all the little things that were, my, my kids struggled with when they were young was just normalized from speech delays to ticks mm -hmm. to eczema, allergy, the whole thing. It's just like, oh, this is just, you know, yeah, this is just normal. So it's the conversations it's and the joy. So it has to be joyful. It has to be, or else people won't do it. So that's why you gotta sing and dance and get people excited. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that um particular strategy. You know, the old time saying, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Well, I think that mm -hmm. applies to all of us really. That yeah. when you bring people together with food and you give them that experience of, wow, this tastes good. And then you can say, well, this is what this is and this is what's in here. And yeah. they are amazed because we have this weird idea that healthy food means yucky food, that it's like cardboard or it's going to be something yeah. that's unappealing. So I love that idea that you have in terms of, hey, have them taste it. Now, yeah. tell us a little bit more about the School of Lunch Academy and how uh, we can get involved in it. What would we learn there? Why should we go there? Oh, my gosh. Well, it's it's really life changing. It's almost hard to put into words because it's just like you walk away completely transformed. And as I started to take, you know, year after year at the school, um, as the head chef, I just was like, I just want more and more people to have this information. And so we want anybody and everybody who wants to learn how to cook ancestrally and have these, you know, this ancestral wisdom and know about traditional methods of cooking to come. So you don't have to be, you don't have to aspire to be a school chef. You can just want to take control of your own health, whatever it is. So when you come to the School of Lunch Training Academy, you're dropped into the mountains of Topanga. So you're immersed in nature immediately. You can step back from your day to day and just let go. You're surrounded by like-minded people 
who are, you know, stepping into the work, you're surrounded by an amazing group of mentors and chefs who are holding space for you. And just, again, bringing the joy, like big time. And, um, and you're going to learn about systems. Really, it's about getting your kitchen set up and the systems that make it easier for all of us, right? So you learn the foundation of um, sourdough bread and raw dairy and fermenting raw dairy. And I think that's a big one for people because it's so, there's so much fear around it. You learn about fermenting vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then we go into, um, so sourdough bread and um, grains in general, soaking beans and nuts and uh, seeds for proper assimilation and digestion. And then we go into meats. So slow roasting meats, roasting chickens, turning it into a bone broth or making meat stocks. We go into organ meats. We have a woman who's like an organ meat expert who's amazing. Actually, she was one of the people who came from Chicago um, many, many years ago to learn about what we're doing. And now, you know, so just just sort of demystifying it all and making it fun. Like so many people are afraid of organ meats. And when you can just lay it all out there and really connect people to their their food sources, we say we honor the animal by using the whole animal, you know, like at at school, I, I put out this little pluck seasoning that's like um, or an organ blend for the kids and, and they can put on eggs or popcorn or whatever. Then they're like, well, what's in it? And I'm like, uh, liver, spleen, pancreas, heart and kidney. And they're just like, what? You know, and then I'm like, yeah, do you think we're just going to eat burgers all day? Like, no, we got to, you know, use the whole animal. So it's a, a nice entryway for them to just start thinking about like, gosh, there is a whole animal that we are breaking down to have those chicken nuggets or whatever it is. So we go through the organ meats. Um, we go to the farmer's market where we teach people how to interact with their local farmers, to look them in the eyes, to shake their hands, to ask the right questions. Um, and we had a one woman who was a, a longtime vegan who lost her health. And then she literally looked at her meat farmer at the Santa Monica farmer's market in the eyes and asked the questions. And that was the moment where she just felt this huge relief that it was going to be okay for her to eat meat. So, um, and she just made her first pate like wow. a couple weeks ago and she's like, it's so good. So, you know, it's just, again, that, that connection <laughs> to our food is so important. And then we take the food that we shop for at the farmer's market. We go back to this beautiful house overlooking the, the Pacific ocean and we cook up a beautiful farm fresh lunch. We have a fermentation expert who comes and can ask any questions about fermentation. Um, and then we kind of do a deeper dive into sourdough and fermentation stuff, making homemade salad dressings. And then Thursday of the week, we have experts come in who from uh, the head of uh, the raw, largest raw dairy farm in the country. We've had a woman who comes who's the um, uh, runs a milling company in Pasadena. So she breaks down grains and the process of sourcing grains and freshly milling them and sourdough and whatnot. We have Hilda speak from the Western Price or the Wise Traditions podcast, all about, you know, her journeys across the globe and visiting indigenous people. And, um, and then we have other school chefs that have jumped into the work and ex um, talking about their experience of transitioning schools. And then all along the week, we're doing mm -hmm. cold therapy, like ice baths and breath work and taking control of our nervous systems. And so, you know, us mamas out there are kind of all whooped up all day long. And so- I don't know about things. those cold baths now. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Everything the else I know. I was terrified. I cried before the first time I did it. And I was just like, you do that in two minutes and you're just like, oh my gosh, I can freaking tackle the world right now. Right. So, but it's just like this equalizer. Obviously you don't have to do it, but most everybody gets in and it's just sort of super fun. And 
um, everyone's kind of supporting one another and cheering each other on. And so it's just really, and then I guess that, and then in the last day, we have a culmination where we all come together and cook for guests. We have a graduation ceremony, bring in all of people from the local food system who are, you know, either collaborating with us or interested in what we're doing and to celebrate the graduates and send them on their way. And so it's really cool. It's, it's fun. It's just really life changing. And then you're on your way and you're just, you have a support system for life. So once you're in the soul fam, soul fam for life. Awesome. And how long is the Academy and when is it? It's five nights. Um, so it's a, it's a, a Sunday afternoon through a Friday morning. And this year it's June 23rd mm -hmm. through the 28th. And then we probably will do a second one um, towards the end of July, beginning of August. So that's, we did two last year and it was okay. awesome. So, yeah. And then we're wow. hoping to put more so online, but yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we're going to put the link in the show notes. So if you are interested right. in doing that, ladies, be sure to click on that link and go to Hillary's website to learn more about School of Lunch in general, but specifically also about the Academy, because that would be phenomenal, not only for you, but for your family, for your community, your church, your mosque, whatever it is. So mm -hmm. I encourage you guys to definitely take advantage of that opportunity. Now, before yeah. we leave today, Hillary, can you tell me or tell us um, is there something that we should have covered that we didn't? And what's your you know, I was, the, the I was, most important thing that you remember? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I think it's, you know, my million dollar question is, how do we wake people up before the wake up call? You know, that frying pan to the head with a cancer yeah. diagnosis or a sick kid or an autoimmune condition. And I, I started to realize over the years that I think it's human nature to wait for the wake up call. You know, we just keep chugging along. And so it's like, the question is really, would you rather chug along and just hope that this condition remedies itself or the weight falls off or the behavior gets better? Or would you rather step into the work and take one small step after another to just start to set yourself up with a foundation of health and wellness for life and set your children up with a, you know, a healthy human existence so that they can go on and graduate from high school and pursue their dreams and not be trying to figure out their gut health because that's what's happening to so many 20-somethings. And so take control while you can now yeah. because, you know, my kids are all young adults now. And I'm telling you, when you send them out into the real world, it's scary <laughs> because the access to food is, mm -hmm. is not the same as what you might have in your own home. So when you have that time and, and, you know, even if you have adult kids or even if it's just you just take the small steps, it's more fun. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you do get it sick, definitely you, more. Yeah. You spend all your time and all your money chasing health. So you don't want to be there. I've been there and mm -hmm. prevention is way better. Not so fun. that's my advice. Yeah. Like you, I have I have five adult children. As you said, they're out in the world and they do what they want to do. The one thing that I hold on to is that everything that I taught them is in the background. And every now and then I see it peek up. You know, like just the yeah. other night, my son invited me to go to a meditation session with him. 
And when we were there, he's like, yeah, my mom was teaching us meditation years ago, but we know, we, you know, and I was like, yes, it, he right? did it's like, something. It's, it's, it's so awesome. I'm getting those little, little tiny pings right now. Like my son called, he's like, mom, the food is so terrible in college. And then he's like, I actually, my friend is going to call you because he's having gut issues. I'm like, you told your friend about what I do? He's like, I do actually believe in what you do. But I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, and he made bone marrow the other day. I'm like, okay. Because it's awful when they first go. You're just like, oh, my God. They didn't listen to a word I said. <laughs> but it's, I know. But there's hope. There's hope yet. There is hope. And as Dr. Don't Natasha Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll stop there. No, well, she was, She just said to me at the Weston Price Conference, she's the one who created the GAPS diet. She said, Hillary, you have given them a way forward. Most kids don't have any sort of role model, anybody who has given you a roadmap. And your kids have that, you know. So if they fall off the rails or they get sick or they have a friend or a spouse who's sick, they have a place to return to. So that, you know, mama's out there, set your kids up with a roadmap so they always have something to fall back on. And then us mamas got to pat ourselves on the back that we did it. (laughs) That is so beautiful. I love that. Ladies, set your children up with the roadmap that they can return to. I encourage you to be inspired by Hillary's story and joyfully disrupt the system in your child's school. It will be well worth it. Maybe not today, but in years to come, you will definitely be able to reap the benefits. And more importantly, your child, as she said, will have that roadmap that he or she can constantly return to. Until next time, my dear ladies, peace and blessings. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Mommy Heal Thyself. If you like what we're doing here, please share, subscribe, like us, and leave a comment. Your feedback is very much appreciated.